the ripple effect of a cyber attack at any point in the supply chain can do immense damage to multiple partners. Hi everybody, I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. The average financial loss from a multi-party cyber incident is nearly 13 times larger than one that stems from an attack on a single party. That's the conclusion of new research from the Scientia Institute and Risk Recon. They find that so-called ripple events have been increasing by 20% per year for the past decade. What's more, downstream organizations outnumber primary victims by more than 800%. Today, we'll delve into the findings with Wade Baker, author of the report and founder of the Scientia Institute, and Kelly White, CEO of Risk Recon. They'll help us to understand how multi-party events occur, which industries are most vulnerable, and why small and medium-sized businesses are more likely to be on the receiving end of attacks. Finally, they'll offer some advice on what companies can do to minimize the impact of ripple events. So here is my conversation with Wade Baker and Kelly White. Kelly White, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bob. It's a pleasure to be with you today. And Wade Baker, welcome as well. I appreciate it. Kelly, I want to understand what we talk about when we refer to what we call multi-party cyber incidents. What types of third parties are involved in such incidences, and just how does a so-called ripple effect work anyway? Bob, the root of all of this is the large amount of outsourcing that's occurred in systems and services that companies have done over the last decade or more. And when they're outsourcing systems and services, they're also outsourcing data along with it. So that could be to Salesforce or customer relationship management or Marketo for marketing management or whatnot. But in each of those outsourcing relationships, data from one company, from the customer, is being transferred to the vendor. And when there is a security incident at a vendor, oftentimes that resultant exposure of data impacts one or more of its customers, having an effect beyond just impacting the company that was compromised. It impacts the customers of that compromise. And thus you get the multi-party incident. Very basically, you take PII, private information that a customer has shared with a vendor. If the vendor gets compromised, if the customer's data is stolen through that incident, the customer is having to disclose that incident to regulators and also to handle any liability that is resultant from that as well. Is it a case of the hacker sometimes actually targeting the downstream customer by way of the vendor? Or is it more a case of the vendor itself as the target and it just so happens that the ripple effect occurs from there? Well, we've actually seen both. I'm thinking, well, specifically, this may not be relevant to our discussion today, but you know, the break-in of the systems at Target stores through the air conditioning provider. I'm not sure if that fits in with what we mean here by these multi-party breaches, because you're talking more about data upstream. 
But is that also part of the discussion? Like sometimes these unlikely vendors that you wouldn't think would be doorways into the ultimate target, but indeed are? Yeah, I mean, these outsourcing relationships have created non-obvious paths of opportunity to gain access to a company's crown jewels. You take an example of American Medical Collections Agency and the incident that they had in early June of this year where they were compromised. And in turn, the miscreants were able to gain access to the healthcare records for over 20 million individuals in the United States, their healthcare records. And making up that data set was data that was provided to American Medical Collection Agency by 30 different companies that were using American Medical Collection Agency for late bill collection services. So you have an aggregation of risk in the vendor, in this case, American Medical Collection Agency, where you can gain access to a treasure trove and an aggregation of crown jewels, as opposed to potentially compromising an individual organization where you might get a subset of that data, you can get an aggregation of it. And so I think there is a targeting of aggregators and processors of this type of sensitive data. Certainly, we see it in that case. We also see it very specifically in the defense industry, where foreign governments are beginning to focus their targeting to gain access to military secrets and so forth of the subcontractors because there's an opportunity to exploit a supplier who might have a weaker cybersecurity posture than does the Department of Defense itself. And again, in supply chain, the reality is that there is such a massive scale of outsourcing going on that more and more of the crown jewels actually exist with vendors in a more accessible fashion through the portals and so on that those vendors provide than often exists inside a company itself. Wade, tell me about how you approached this research from Scientia Institute. How did you come up with the data? And tell me a little bit about maybe some surprising findings that arose from it. First thing we talked about when we discussed this research effort with Risk Recon was where should we get an appropriate data set? Risk Recon collects incidents as part of what they do. We have studied incidents in the past, but we really didn't have a data set that had all the features that we needed for this particular study. And we hadn't seen this kind of study done before, so it was, wasn't something that was out there and we could kind of mimic the methodology. So we started looking around for independent data sets. We landed on Advisen's cyber loss data, which if you're not familiar with that data set, their primary customers are insurers and reinsurers. And they have put together this data set. It's an actuarial data set for people that do risk models and set premiums and other things like that. So they collect when a company has a known incident, they make an effort to connect that with all of the downstream loss events that flow out of that incident, which is one of the things that made it ideal for this research here. And they try when possible to get disclosed losses or costs associated with those incidents. So that's where we started. And we started digging into those findings just to learn what we could about these multi-party cyber incidents. But given the availability of the raw data, I'm rather shocked to hear that no one had undertaken a study of this nature before, especially given the fact that there have been some highly publicized incidents involving multiple parties. So is this really the case that people had sort of been asleep at the wheel in terms of trying to get their arms around the severity of the problem? Well, I think there's a couple of different factors there. So there have been studies done on how third parties are involved in specifically data breaches in the past. Those 
typically have focused on when a third party is the primary threat actor. In other words, my partner gained access to my systems either maliciously or accidentally, and that resulted in a loss for my organization. So maybe there's two parties involved, but it's more of a a direct me to one of my vendors and we're the sort of totality of the loss. There's been lots of things that have looked at that and lots of anecdotes in the headlines because, as you mentioned, these things are, are certainly becoming more and more frequent that we hear about them. What we had not seen was again what we termed a multi-party breach, which we set a definition of this is one incident that impacted three or more organizations sort of in the same event. It's looking at these larger ones where there are, hence the title, multi-parties or ripple effects spreading out through lots of different organizations from this single origin event. So which industries turned out to be the ones that were most responsible for generating the most ripple events? One of the things that I noted right off was all industries were at least represented. Was it a single industry where this is just not a thing? (laughs) That's sort of takeaway one. And then from there, we separated industries by the industries that are frequently generating these incidents, meaning they're kind of the central where the stone drops, so to speak. They generate the ripples that spread out to impact others. And then we compare that with those on the receiving end of those ripples. They are impacted by the incident that was generated by another organization. In both of those cases, we found that financial services and what the North American Industry Classification System calls business support services, kind of a vague name, but it's full of things like collection agencies and credit bureaus, information harvesters and gatherers to support business services. But those two broad industries, finance and business support systems, were number one and number two on both the generating end and the receiving end. And if you break that down a little bit, you see Like I said, collection agencies, credit bureaus, commercial banking, see a lot of government systems. We see a lot of IT providers. It's a pretty good mix. But as Kelly mentioned kind of early on, we did notice that a lot of those fall down to information aggregators or processors. Areas where data is just absolutely essential and especially confidential and private. But Kelly, you have a comment to make on that? Exactly what you just said, Bob, is that the companies that deal with the sensitive data, either as an originator of it or a processor of it on behalf of others or the ones that generate the most ripple events. And business support being number one, finance number two, information, the social media sites and so on being number three. And on the low end, transportation, management consulting, others, they have a lot lower rates of sensitive data, particularly that they're processing on behalf of others. So there's a correlation certainly between What's the degree and volume of sensitive data that you process and whether you are a generator of these ripple events or not? Now, I understand that the research reveals that small to medium-sized businesses are getting hit hard in this way, that indeed SMBs, as they call them, are far more likely to be on the receiving end of multi-party incidents that originate from larger enterprises. So that's the direction of flow in the ripple effect. It starts in the larger companies and comes down and, and hurts these smaller businesses after that. Is that how it works most of the time? It's the way it works a lot of the time. I think a lot of that has to do with the way that supply chains are created, right? You kind of have maybe a large organization that that supply chain sort of coalesces around in order to supply the goods and services that that larger enterprise is providing to the marketplace. And if something happens to that larger organization, well, it just ripples throughout their supply chain, which in many cases is 
full of SMB type firms. Now, another thing that you revealed, and I guess this comes in as something of a surprise, is when you compared financial losses between primary and secondary victims, it sounds like you actually found not much difference there. Could you explain how that works and what does that teach us as a result? We wanted to get a sense of, well, first of all, how large are these incidents? So we did things like count the number of organizations impacted, and we wanted to know the the losses associated with those. So where there was loss information, which is kind of a rarity in the realm of cybersecurity incidents, to be quite honest, because as you can imagine, companies don't really like talking about how much they lost from these types of incidents, but there is data out there. We wanted to compare, okay, you're a single organization and you suffer a major incident like this. What are your losses? Versus if you are a downstream or secondary impacted organization in a multi-party incident, what, what does that loss profile look like? And as you mentioned, they're kind of similar. I mean, yes, the median value of, of a large single-party incident is about twice what downstream is if you're a secondary, one of those downstream organizations. But the overall distribution is similar, meaning that there's large and small losses in both. And if you look at the report, we draw a curve of the distribution of those values, and they're pretty much overlapping. And to me, the big takeaway there is that there's a very good chance that if you are a downstream organization from another entity's breach, your loss could be just as much, and in many cases is just as much or more, as if you were the primary victim of your own breach. And I think that's really important to the way that we manage cyber risk. Cyber incidents can happen in any number of ways. You could have phishing, you could have impersonation, you could have viruses coming through non-approved devices, you could have weak or non-existent passwords. Were you able to learn from this research as to what were the most common causes of these cyber incidences? Not in any great detail, unfortunately. The data set that we used differentiated between, say, a data breach and a disruption or outage, but it did not tell us how the breach occurred. In other words, did someone steal credentials or phishing or those other examples that you gave? There was no subcategorization there. So it's certainly something that we have talked with Risk Recon about and something that's important in terms of now what do we do about these types of incidents? So we, we want to look at that in future research. Well, Kelly, I'd like to ask you then, now that we know these things from the research from Scientia, what do we do? What precautions can we take? How do we know that the primary party is taking adequate steps that will prevent a ripple effect downstream? Can you give us some advice on this? Organizations have typically used kind of an attestation-based approach where they're using that to assess the cyber quality, the cybersecurity performance of their vendors, administering a questionnaire maybe once every year, once every two years to get a snapshot, asking them questions like, do you patch your software against known vulnerabilities? Do you block unsafe network services? Do you have defenses against phishing and malware? Things like that. The reality is that that information mechanism is just really, it's not sufficient for managing risk well. I use this analogy. Would you manage the internal, the cybersecurity of your internal enterprise just with questionnaires? Sending a questionnaire to, to your developers, hey, are you writing secure software to admins? Are you, are you applying software patches quickly? No, nobody does that. They're using objective data and analytics to gain frequent and objective insight into how well risk is being managed. And that's the primary, I think, next step that needs to be taken is that organizations will really benefit from 
using objective data and analytics to get better insight into the reality of how well their critical suppliers are managing the cybersecurity risk that they depend on to protect their own assets. And innovations in the industry provide the opportunity and the capability to get good, accurate, objective data that can be used to get higher resolution visibility into how well that risk is being managed. The other thing I would say, and equally as important, is that organizations from the top down really need to make it a priority to hold their suppliers accountable to having good cybersecurity risk management. Too often, organizations choose a vendor and they proceed forward with that vendor, regardless of how well that organization is managing cybersecurity risk. Because perhaps there's been some other priorities, the the feature functionality of the product or the cost of the services from the vendor. We are seeing leading organizations put a lot more emphasis and priority behind the cybersecurity quality of the vendors, and they are walking away when they're uncomfortable with it. And that's the right business decision. As we see from the Ripple report, a breach in your vendor's environment can impact you as much or more as if the breach occurred in your own systems. And the regulators have taken a very strong stand that while you can outsource your systems and services, you cannot outsource your risk. The legal environment and the regulators are going to hold you equally accountable for any breach of your data, regardless of it happened within your own systems or with a supplier. And I think that that's reflected in the data. So two suggestions. One, raise the bar on the transparency that you have into your vendor's cybersecurity performance by using objective data analytics that you gather on a frequent basis. And two, really put some teeth behind the cybersecurity performance expectations of your vendors. And if they're not meeting them, then the organization politically has to be willing to just walk away. Wade, do you have a last word on that based on your experience of your research? I think it, a lot of it lines up with, with what Kelly just said. And it's totally different phase. I worked on my dissertation research was actually looking at cyber risk and supply chains and through completely separate data sets, completely separate methodologies, found very similar results. And things like assessing third parties, the security posture of third parties, putting specific controls in place to protect both those third parties and yourself from those third parties all showed positive gains in terms of reducing risk from third-party losses. We know these things are true. It's figuring out and finding the organizational impetus to kind of make it so, and that that seems to be where a lot are struggling. Well, we can only hope that this research from the Scientia Institute and Risk Recon serves as something of a wake-up call to companies that need to do a better job of protecting, as you call them, the crown jewels of their organization, this very, very sensitive data. So I want to thank both of you. Wade Baker, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of of fun. And Kelly White, thank you also very much for being with us today. Thanks to you as well, Bob. That was my conversation with Wade Baker of the Scientia Institute and Kelly White of Risk Recon talking about the ripple effect of cyber attacks throughout the supply chain. We're online at www.supplychainbrand.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. 
You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.